Our text today is read from the fourth chapter of Romans, beginning with verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things that be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. We've been concerned about the justification that comes by faith in Jesus Christ and the righteousness that comes to us by that faith. Now we're giving an example of the faith of Abraham and the Bible relates that example what Abraham believed and what he received because of it to something that you and I must believe and what we will receive because of it. As we look into this example and compare it to what we are asked to believe, let us not do what the humanists and the positive thinker do. Let us not attribute greatness to the man Abraham because of his great faith. This is commonly done, and it's a mistake. To gain the important understanding, let us think this, not about the great faith of the man Abraham, but rather the faith of Abraham in the greatness of God. That is what is called for from you and me. Many people have gotten tripped up at this point in their endeavor to know God and to be full participants in the Christian faith. They've been snared by positive thinking. I've got to generate great faith. I must be able to believe all things. I must be able to make the power of faith work in my life. No, they are missing the mark. When Jesus was asked by the disciples to increase their faith, he told them that if they had the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, they could do great things. The point is that it is not the greatness of the faith of the man, but it is the greatness of God in whom the faith is placed. Many illustrations have been offered to try to demonstrate the truth of faith in God. 
I recall one that I heard many years ago. It was about a man that had fallen off of a cliff, and it was a drop of a couple of thousand feet to the rocks below. So this man reached out and grabbed a root which was growing out of the bank. As he clung to the root, the dirt started to fall away, and he wasn't sure whether that root was going to stay in the bank or whether it was going to pull out. Just then, an angel flew by. The man cried out, Help! Mr. Angel, save me! Do you think I can? the angel asked. Oh, I know you can, the man answered. The angel said, Do you think I would? Again, the man said, Yes! Very well, said the angel. Turn loose of the root, and I'll catch you before you hit the rocks. It's not the greatness of the man who has the faith. It takes no greatness to turn loose. But it does take confidence in the greatness of the one who's going to save us. It's the greatness of God in whom faith is placed. Now let's see what Abraham did. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. When God gave the covenant of promise to Abraham, he spoke as if it were done. I have made thee a father of many nations. Actually, it was not done in terms of a dispensational reality in time and history until many years into the future. But God said that he had already made him the father of many nations. That This meant through Abraham and through his son. The great test of faith at this point was that Abraham did not have a son. And his wife Sarah was barren, as we just read. She couldn't have children. And anyway, it had already gotten to the point in their lives where she was beyond the years when a woman could bear children, even if she had been able to have children. So here was Abraham. God has taken him out of Ur of the Chaldees and has directed him to go out into a strange and a wilderness land. And while he's sitting out there by a pile of stones looking around, God appeared to him and said, Abraham, this is a great land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. There is a tremendous thing here in this land where you are sojourning as a stranger, but there's something greater still. In this covenant of promise, I am making you the father of all nations of earth. In fact, I've already made you the father of all nations of earth. There will be no more blessed and honored name of all the children of Adam who have come to God through faith than the name Abraham. Throughout all the history of the church, Abraham would be remembered and honored and would have many children of faith. They would be too many to comprehend. They would be more than the sands of the sea and more than the stars of the sky. Envision, if you can, this 100-year-old man with his poor 90-year-old barren wife whose womb is dead beside him, staring off across the unmapped regions of this strange and untamed land, 
And God is saying to these two pathetic figures, you are the most blessed of people and your children will outnumber the stars or the sands of the sea. (laughs) This was such an incredible promise that it made Sarah laugh. The angel asked her, why did you laugh? She said, oh, I didn't laugh. And he said, yes, you did. You did laugh. But to Sarah, it was not a laugh of unbelief. She was not an unbelieving woman. It was just that the thought seemed so ridiculous that it was humorous to her. It sounded funny to Sarah because of the situation she was in. But she did believe, and so did Abraham. The Bible explains Abraham's faith. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not, as though they were. There is the key to it all, you see. We said before that everything begins with God, and once you believe in God, you have all the problems solved about where the Bible came from, where man came from, how the Bible has been preserved, how God can do all of these things, and so on. Once you believe in God... You know that God is not limited by natural cause and effect. You know that God can do anything he wants to do, and God will do that, which is right. So Abraham's reasoning was on this wise. God is able to make people out of the dust of the ground and make them live. God is able to raise the dead. He can look out here and say, Abraham, it may look like sagebrush and sand to you, but to me it's a great, beautiful nation, and beyond that there's a city somewhere that is eternal. And Abraham, this is a tremendous day for you because all those marvelous things are out there and they are yours. I'm giving them to you right here and right now. Abraham heard the promise, and he reasoned, Well, I can't see them, and I certainly can't make them come to pass, but God can. And I know if it were not true, God would not say it. There's the key to Abraham's faith. Who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were? This has particular importance for us now, because we're talking about you and me, and being made righteous by faith and by grace. This is something that God is going to call into being that is not. That is not the way it is. But that is the way God is going to make it to be through Jesus Christ. You are righteous through Jesus Christ, through grace and through faith. You are righteous Now the question is, is God right or not? Are we going to argue with God? Well, the unbelievers did. The children of Israel argued later on in the wilderness when God told them things like he told Abraham. They were gainsayers or arguers. They said, oh, wait a minute, come on now. You know, this doesn't seem right doesn't seem possible, it doesn't seem fair, and I just don't think it's going to happen. I really don't think so. 
This is what the men said who were sent in to spy out the land of Canaan under Joshua. They brought back an evil and a dishonest report because they simply could not accept what God had promised them by faith. But Abraham did not do that. He said, God is able to do what he wants to do. He is sure to do what he has said he will do. Now, this is what we want to see in Abraham, the means by which he was made righteous. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. The thing that God told Abraham was contrary to the situation as he knew it. And it was against everything that was reasonable, practical, scientific, logical, or rational. The thing that God told Abraham was the one event Abraham was sure would never take place, that Sarah would bear him a son. A 90-year-old woman with a dead womb, a barren woman all of her life, and a dead man, they're going to have a son? (laughs) It did not seem reasonable. Now, God could have said, Abraham, I'm going to give you an adopted child, and he's going to marry a good Hebrew girl, and they're going to have a son which you'll call your own, and through him the seed will come. Now, that was something that would have seemed sensible to Abraham, but this thing was against hope, against all hope. Yet, Abraham believed it. Now, what is the point here? Is it that Abraham was a great, rugged, devoted man of good character? No. If you get off on that, you've missed the point. Forget about that. Abraham had his eyes on God. He said, God Almighty, God the creator of the universe, this great, good, benevolent, kind, merciful, loving, all-powerful God can do what he says he will do. He can do anything he wants to do. And if this is how God says it's going to be, that is the way it is going to be. Now, if Abraham had based his faith upon his own rational mind, he would have talked himself right out of the reward. And this is what many people do today with justification by faith. It makes no sense. It seems unreasonable. It seems too easy. It seems too good to be true. It is implausible. And it's not rational. Do you see what such people are doing They are looking at it from the point of view of themselves. How can I make myself believe this? How can I get it into my head that it could be this way? And people are saying, come on, pray through, think hard, dig in, bow up. You can do it. You can psych yourself into it. Bat your head against something. Squirm, jump around, do something. You can make it. Now we've got it all wrong, all wrong. Forget about yourself 
and your own emotional strength, your own ruggedness, your own willpower, and all of these other terribly humanistic ideas that hark right back to the broken step of fallen humanity. Forget about that. Get your focus upon God Almighty. God has said he will do something. God has said he will do something. Will he or not? Do you believe he will? Can it possibly be otherwise? This is the significant question. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't let the circumstances of life and the situation he was in defeat or deter him. He could have. It would have been understandable if he had. But he did not. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now do not allow the phrase strong in faith to focus your attention on the greatness of Abraham again. All through this text, we see this testimony of Abraham. He gave glory to God. God was the object of Abraham's consideration. And the only significant question in Abraham's mind was this, can God do this? And if he can, will he? Can God be depended on to do what he says? Does God know what he's talking about? Does he realize what he's saying? Has he thought this thing through? Anybody who believes in God knows that the answer to all of those questions is yes. We would not pay him the insult of questioning his character or his judgment. That is the point. When we question and doubt and argue and rationalize, it is because we are basing everything on the greatness of ourselves. How can I believe it? How can I see it? How can I grasp it? How can I hang on to it? How can I? How can I? How can I? What we ought to think is this. How can God? And can he? Abraham knew that he could. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Abraham let no circumstance of life deter him. He did not let his own physical condition deter him. He didn't let the physical condition of Sarah discourage him or defeat him. He didn't let his own mental weariness drag him down. Abraham focused his attention on God and said, Can he do it? And will he do it? And he said, God can do it, and he will do it. And I don't know how, and I don't care how. That's up to God to determine. What I know is this, God can do it if he says he can, and God will do it if he says he will. 
And listen to this. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Why was it imputed to him? Because Abraham put his confidence in God. He gave God the credit by saying, yes, God, you can do it. Yes, God, you know what you're talking about. And Abraham wasn't just saying it. There wasn't anybody to say it to. Abraham believed it. He was believing it. And he was not just believing it, but he was doing it and he was living it out. In that condition of humility, Abraham was in a position where God could do this thing for him. Before God did the works which brought Abraham his reward, Abraham was imputed the righteousness which is a faith. I want to repeat that now. I want to be sure you understand this. Before, before God did the works which brought Abraham his reward, Abraham was imputed righteousness because of his faith. What point is this text trying to make? Shall we make a shrine unto Abraham? Shall we get a plaque to Abraham and hang it on the wall and pay tribute to Abraham? Shall we do as Peter wanted to do on the Mount of Transfiguration? Shall we build an altar to Abraham? No, no, none of those things. This is an illustration that is designed to teach us a lesson about justification by faith. Here it is, the whole point of it. Listen to it. Listen to it. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised for our justification. Righteousness by faith will be imputed to us also if we believe something that God has said. Abraham believed something that God had said. And we are called upon to believe something that God has said. What is it? This is the something that God has said. And it's every bit as bizarre as what God said to Abraham. It's just as unreasonable. It's just as unnatural It makes just as little sense from the human point of view. It seems just as impossible that God could make you and me, who are fallen sinners by nature, in whom evil and weakness are ingrained from our cradle, that God could make us righteous. It seems mythical that God can give us righteousness by humility, faith, and calling upon Jesus Christ to change us. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, does it? What makes sense is that we should have to get out here and earn this salvation in favor. We should have to do it if we're going to have it. That's what appeals to the rationalistic mind. That is what Abraham might, have, might well have said. Look, Lord, I appreciate everything you're telling me, and, and I, I know what you're trying to do, and I appreciate you for trying to do it for me. I know you're a good friend. And I really appreciate you coming out here and sitting on this pile of stone here in this wilderness with me and trying to comfort me. But Lord, 
I've got to do this thing myself. I mean, Sarah and I, if we're going to have a child, we have to try again. I mean, I don't know what good it will do us at this point in our life, but it's something we've got to do, you see. Abraham could have taken that position, but he did not. Abraham knew the impossibility of it all. He knew his need for God. And he had that confidence in God that God would do it. There's no question that God has made that promise through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are only two questions of significance here. Can God do it? And Do you believe it? Those are the questions. Abraham believed God. He staggered not at those promises through unbelief. His attitude was, if God says he can do it, he can do it. What the Bible is telling you and me with respect to salvation by faith and grace, the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness of God declared upon our behalf, and the new life in Christ, is that if God says he can do it, he can do it. And if God says he will do it, he will do it. Do you believe that God can make you righteous by faith? Since God says he can and he will, do you believe that he will? If you believe that he can, and if you believe that he will, will you take this confidence out of yourself where you have had it placed? And will you call upon the Lord and put your confidence in God to forgive your sins through the work of Christ and convert you and make a new person out of you. Can God do that? Will he do that? Do you believe it? Will you accept it? The Bible says your faith will be counted for righteousness if that's what you believe. That is the example of Abraham. That is how Abraham found justification in the sight of God. It was by believing the things that the Bible says about the accomplishment and the work of his son, Jesus Christ.